First Chronicles chapter 22. There are a few verses to read here, and I'll just begin at verse 1. First Chronicles 22. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. He's encapsulating what shall be. Not necessarily what has yet been completed. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates. And for the joinings and brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance. For the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young, he's tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Let's skip down to verse 14 if you don't mind. David speaking. Now behold, in my trouble. I have prepared for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand talents, thousand, thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto in my trouble. And everyone, speak his name. Would you do that? Close your eyes. In Jesus' name. Jesus. We seek you. Oh, we need you. Heavenly Father, grant us your grace, mercy, anoint you in this house. Ah, uh, yes, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. I pray for the people that are watching right now online, Lord. I pray, let the Shekinah glory of God move into their presence, Lord, as they seek you. I pray for all of those that are hearing this and will watch this later in some time in their life, Lord. Let it, let it make an imprint, an indelible imprint on their spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. I am reminded of David's prayer when he was pursued by King Saul to his death as he 
ran from impending peril. David wrote Psalm 31.15 My times are in thy hand. I'd like you just to take your hand and open up your palm. And I want you to give your times to the Lord. My times, do it with me right now. My times are in your hand. Say it with me. My times are in thy hand. The lessons learned in those preliminary years were necessary in many ways. David's entire tenure as the king of Israel found a greater benefit from the suffering he felt, persecution from King Saul. It was a better education and benefit to him than any of his victories. Such is the case. It was when he was in the dark and alone that David learned to trust God. He did not learn that at the conclusion of yet another victory. He learned it in the valley of the shadow, which he called death. His songs found in so many of the Psalms speak of these things. If we read them in context. First Chronicles chapter 22 and Psalm 31 are connected not necessarily by time, but by suffering. I'll lean on John Gill's research, who would depict First Chronicles 22 as a reference to the insurrection of Absalom. The years of First Chronicles 22, the time this writing would encompass the years between 978 and 972, this would be a very short six-year span, if that. The actual time is probably much shorter. But to be conservative today, these corresponding scriptures are written in very close proximity. David is gathering the means for the temple, which he would like to build, but he's not allowed to build with his own hands. Still yet, he's preparing the means, the materials, the plans as best he can. He says to his young and tender son, you can add to it if you want. The one statement, however, leaping from the page is not the money, not the gold or silver that has been prepared in massive abundance. It's not the lumber or the trees gathered or the realization that Solomon at the time is still too young to realize the sacrifices that his father has made. No, the statement that leaps from the page is that opening line of verse 14 that reveals the conflict of the season in which David was working. I've poured over the moments of this troubled family so many times. David's life and family members have been examined by a million students, all of us uncovering nuggets of wisdom and insight. We are like hungry archaeologists planted in the middle of an ancient boneyard. There's so much yet still to find. The timeline is important because it gives us context. And context tells the real story about what is being said or what is being felt 
or what they are experiencing. Context reveals the deeper truth of any and every situation. Jesus once turned to his mother and said, Mother, my time is not yet come. That's John chapter 2. But in Luke 9 and 51, the Bible says that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Context. Without the context, the timeline, the surrounding sounds and sights would be difficult to determine. But set those words in their proper place and you will see a barely 30-year-old apprehensive Messiah miracle worker. Not yet ready to showcase his divine power at a wedding. But he bends himself to the desire of his beloved mother. And then look ahead and look chapter 9, you'll see, find the sacrificial lamb on his final journey to the base of Golgotha, ready to drink the bitter cup. Context makes all the difference. The words alone do not tell us what we need to know without the context that surrounds them. If we could apply this truth to our life and to the things around us, all that we experience will start to make sense. If you knew the period of time that you're living in, Statements made early in life are dreams of what might be. There's hope for the future. But at the end, the context changes to fulfillment, hopefully, and not regret. The hope is different. The young hope to achieve. The aged hope they have. Compassion for others often fail us because we don't know the story of their life. But... Placed in the right frame, compassion rises to its proper place if you knew their story. If you just read Psalm 31 without context, you might miss the lesson learned. David had to learn that his times are in the hand of God. He needed to learn that lesson, especially when his own house became divided and disjointed. I'll just give you three statements of his house that depict that time of his own family. And I'll be careful and cautious today. The horror of an unwanted advancement. The murder of the offender. And the death of the protective brother. There's no trouble like family trouble. You've never seen any heartache like that kind of heartache. Nothing can erase those moments then within the family, there is this massive offense. There are things that we can possess, vacations, experiences. None of it can blot out those infractions. It goes even beyond a brother scorned. There are people within the sound of my voice that understand that some things can never be undone or erased. Some memories have to be managed. They will never be conquered. Mm -hmm. Here, pastor, today I'm speaking to you. David's flaws were many. Of this we can all attest. It's written in the book. He disobeyed God on at least three different occasions, which caused him great harm. God told him not to have too many horses, not to have too many wives, not to have too much land. But David did the opposite. The reason is very simple. Success is hard to handle. Success 
is harder to handle than failure. Many a men and women have lost their faith and walk with God because they couldn't handle success. That was the first problem in David's life. The second, David counted the congregation of the people, which doesn't seem like a major issue, except that David began to judge his ability to defeat the enemy by the size of his own army. It was his first moment to deviate from every other plan. God was the battle plan when he began. The enemy didn't matter, not the size or the number or the weaponry. David relied upon God. God was the, God was the strategy. Success, having a good moment, he can corrupt you, think that you have it all by yourself, and then looking at your own resources instead of God. That's a problem with a lot of people. You get a little something under your belt, you get a little bit more coins in your pocket, and you feel like you got it all, and you don't need God. And then you count on all your other stuff when you're in trouble and say, well, I I know I could pray, but I got a good doctor. I know I could, I know I could call on the people. I know I could, I know, but you know what? I, I've got a good remedy. Yeah, right. I know. There's a lot of remedies today. I, I drank kombucha juice before. They tell me that it's really good for your body. I don't know what that was, but it was the nastiest stuff. You folks walking around with your Beet juice. I don't know what you're doing. This is what you want? Okay. You don't look better than me. In fact, I met a man who drank carrot juice so much his, his skin looked orange. Go ahead. Keep drinking that carrot juice. You got all the remedies. We're still hooked on remedies. The cabbage diet does work, but it's painful. Where am I standing here? You keep looking at your own resources and thinking you can overcome. You can't overcome without God. You're about to lose every battle that you began. And every victory will slip from your hands because you started counting what you could rely upon. You didn't rely upon God. I want to stand here and tell the people, you are children of the Most High God. I'm preaching to the heirs of the commonwealth of grace. You are not of this world. You are of God. John wrote, but we are of God. We are the children of the Most High God. And our plan is not the plan of the world. And our means are not the means of the world. And our refuge is not the refuge of the world. We have a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you when Pentecostalism was powerful. It was powerful before there was denominations. It was powerful before there was an advent of all kind of segregations of churches. I'll tell you when it was powerful. It was most powerful when we had no fallback. It was powerful when we were all on the wrong side of the tracks and didn't have any means and had no money. That's when we had to rely upon God. And we said, I don't know what to do, but I got to get to the house and I got to get to the Lord. That's when it was powerful. Hey. He starts numbering all the people. Deviated. 
He numbered the people and response, God cursed Israel. Read it in your Bible. That was the moment when David needed to repent and he bought the threshing floor from Aruna, the Jebusite. That was the place of the original altar and then it would become the future temple location. Then lastly, his issue was the moment when kings go off to war. Oh. And the Bible says David tarried in Jerusalem called and anointed for the purpose of the kingdom but he abandoned his position his idle time led him to a lustful affair with Uriah's wife and a cold visit from Nathan the prophet exposed him the kingdom would never be the same David's flaws were many but none of those moments rose to the conflict of the insurrection in his own home John Gill would so, so describe. When sons and daughters rise against their natural or spiritual fathers, there is no greater hurt than that. That cutting knife digs deep and it's hard to put into words. When those you have invested in the most turn on you and seek your harm, it is a cut to the emotional heart, to the mind. And Absalom did it with great intention and cruelty. He ran his course. He sat on the throne. He took the people who belonged to his father. The biblical narrative demands your attention, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot even speak of all that he did in those horrific moments. The Bible describes it. Absalom did more than just supplant his father. He corrupted the palace and the people with great shame and degradation. To prove that he was in charge, you have to read it for yourself. But when the day was through... And the day will always come to an end. No matter how bitter, how vicious the act, rebellion and rebellious acts have an expiration date now and forever. David will come back to the city to recapture what God gave him. The time has come to a close. Absalom must be brought to justice and his wickedness must have an answer. But even at the very last, when David's men finally have had enough and they are arranging themselves in companies ready to defeat Absalom and take back Jerusalem. David will cry out to them before they leave and he'll say, Deal gently with my son. The nights of trouble are often so very long. The memory of relationship did not escape the thoughts of David. Still a son. He's still my son. Flashes of his infancy possibly. Maybe his birth. Maybe moments of his childhood. Deal gently. He's my son. History tells us that David taught all of his children, and especially a young Absalom, the way of battle. Like a father playing ball in the backyard, David would have taught Absalom his leadership about the sword, strategy, and the like. Perhaps even hiring the best tutors, both in study and in practice. Absalom would grow up to enjoy the pleasures of the monarch, but he would also have to deal with the challenges of his renowned, overshadowing father. He obviously excelled in gaining favor with the people. David did not handle his home very well. Tamar, David's daughter, and Absalom's full-blooded sister was shamed. And David was slow, even negligent in confronting that other son, Amnon. The horror of an unwanted advancement. The murder of the offender. The death of the protective brother. 
Absalom had killed his half-brother, escaped, and was in exile for so long, all of it lay heavy on David's lap until finally Absalom came back home. It must have seemed like a good thing, a reuniting of sorts, I suppose. But the deep and festering wound in Absalom's heart was more than a passing cold. It was an infectious cancer that ate him up from the inside out. Bitterness, ladies and gentlemen, bitterness is a poison you drink hoping someone else will die. Absalom came back home, but in time he stood in the gate. He stood in the gate. Which actually means he intercepted the people from getting to his own father. They came to share their needs, and Absalom told him that dad doesn't have time for you. I have time. I love you. I'll help you. He stole the hearts of the people by demeaning his own father, the king. He said, the king is hidden in his castle, but I'm out here to help you. And one by one, over dinner or coffee or meetings or house visits or casual conversations, Absalom set himself up to overthrow the king and steal the throne. The time of trouble, the unsettling of the nation caused a ripple in loyalty. Families were pitted against families. Soldiers and captains divided. Even some of the priests were split off from one another. Read your Bible. First Chronicles 21, 22 is both a recall and a present reality of the trouble. And David will write, and I quote again, Now, behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord. Not necessarily past tense, though there was much past. Solomon had yet not arrived in maturity, and the conflict had not yet subsided. The aftershock of death and murder of his children Abuse rippled throughout the land. But there, and that opening phrase, is what I needed on so many occasions. Right there, in a handful of words, became my refuge. I embraced them. I've held to them. Because I have learned that my times are in thy hand. As I stand here today, I implore you, to grasp a hold of this truth. What you do in your trouble is the most important thing you will ever do. What you do in your struggle may very well define your entire life. Your family's future is going to point back to the moment that you are in your trouble. Your children will be formed into whatever they saw and experienced in your life during those moments. What you do in your trouble, in your struggle, in your conflict, large or small. Go look at Paul and Silas, the consummate teachers, preachers, apostles, leaders. As far as ministry is concerned, they were soul winners and discipleship. Those men sit in rare error. Paul and Silas are doing what they thought to be in conjunction with the Great Commission. They were baptizing people in Philippi. They were preaching the gospel and converting sinners to Christ. They were making connections with beggars and the affluent. In your Bible, Acts 16, they found Lydia, a seller of purple, wealthy and influential woman she was. They converted her. Prayer meetings were taking place. Entire households were being baptized in the name of Jesus. 
But when they came across a young girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination, it was a spirit to predict the future. And after some time of this undesired advertisement, the Bible says that Paul became troubled and he turned to that young girl and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spirit came out of that young girl. But that good deed did not go unpunished. Rather, the owners of the possessed girl dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace and caused an uproar and lied about what they had done. Here's Acts 16.23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Those jails belonged to the Romans. The flogging also, it took time and effort and coordination, all of it in the cost of doing what seemed right. And I hope that we don't gloss over the scripture as if nothing happened. Read it again. Many stripes and painful whipped, scourged. The pain of it can take the breath out of the victim. If whipped with that cat of nine tails, it can cause a type of asphyxiation. But Paul and Silas still found themselves at the bottom of the heap. They were bound by their feet in stocks and bonds. They were fastened to the wall in the inner cell of that prison. They were in trouble. They were accused falsely. They were demeaned and abandoned. They were beaten and imprisoned. But the Bible says, at midnight. Mm. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and everybody heard them there was a sound that reached the portals of heaven prayer and singing it matters what you do in the middle of your trouble Lydia's house had to be better than this one one day you're sitting at a fine table eating fine food, dining with all the people. And the next day it's so dark you cannot even see the outline of your hand in front of your face. What now? I'll tell you what now. In the middle of your trouble, you got to get up and do something. In the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your dark time, you need to keep your eyes focused in the middle of your time. What do you do? Where you feel like you are under the weight of everything and it's all crumbling. You say this. In the morning when I rise. 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 I'm going to see Jesus when I rise. I'm going to see Jesus when I rise. I'm going to see Jesus uh, I'm going to see I'm not out of it yet but when I rise I'm, I'm still stuck here in this place right now but in the morning when I, I'm still in a dark place but in the morning when I rise I'm still crumbling but in the morning when I rise I'm bound head and foot but in the morning when I rise in the morning say when I rise in the morning when everybody leaves me I'm going to rise I, I want to see Jesus When I rise in the morning, hey, when I rise in the morning, when I rise, hey, I want to 
want to see Jesus. Hey. What now? What now? What was the report? Is it irreversible? What now? I'll tell you what now. In the midst of your trouble, David said, in the middle of my trouble, I have been still preparing for the house of the Lord. I don't know, I feel like the Lord put this in my brain because I didn't read it anywhere and just popped in my head earlier this morning. I cannot stop the pain, but I will not stop the build. Perhaps it's what you do in your trouble that's going to define your destiny. Here, Pastor, anybody can shout when you have victory. And you ought to be shouting when you have victory. In fact, people are often mistaken for who they really are when they're shouting in their trouble. Because when you're praising in your trouble, you look like you don't have any trouble. But if you could just put me in the context for a little bit, you know right now that it may not always be good and it may not always be right, but I'm not going to stop building even though I've got some trouble. In the middle of my trouble, when I rise. Just, just give me five minutes, and then I'll ask for another five minutes. Just sit down for a second. Stay right there. That was good. Let's get real. You put, you put us in the grip of suffering, self-inflicted or otherwise. And then let's see if we're still involved in building the kingdom. Are you listening to this? Put us in shackles and family trouble and sickness and financial duress. You might even cause that. And loss. And tell me if we're still thinking about what we need to teach our Sunday school class next week. David was not working on the temple, but he was preparing for it because he wasn't allowed to build it. His hands would not touch it. His, his feet would not enter into it. His eyes would never see it. Here's your Bible. David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you've shed blood abundantly. You've had great wars you will not build a house unto my name because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. So think about it. David was rejected by the Lord himself. And in the middle of his trouble and rejected from doing what he really wanted to do, he did not stop preparing. That did not stop him from gathering the masons, the carpenters, the bricklayers, the nails for the doors, the gates, all the brass without measure. He ordered the cedars in abundance. He gathered up 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron, too great to be weighed in wood and stone. And then he said to his son, hey, listen, when you get a little older, you can add to it if you want. Are you kidding me? 
They won't let me be involved. All they want me to do is give. Are you saying that I have to provide the plates and the plasticware? I got to cook the meal, but I don't get to eat it? Uh-oh. We were having a good time a moment ago until we got real. Until you realize that the kingdom is rarely about you. But if you can just give a little plasticware, you can just prepare a little bit. You got to say in the middle of my trouble, when I'm rejected by my family and it's all a mess. And God doesn't really give me a word and he kind of shuts me out. But I can still do something. I'm still going to do something. I'm down. I'm low in the middle of my trouble. I'm going to rise one day. I'm not going to quit building. I wish somebody would cry out and say, yes, Lord, I'm not going to quit now. I'd give anything for someone to shout and dance at the lowest moment in life. I give anyone, I give anything to see somebody rejoice in the Lord when they have no reason to rejoice. Just accept God's good. Even when you can't even see his goodness, I'd give anything for people to dance and jump and shout. Not when you have a victory. Not when you got a pay raise. Not when you got a job increase. Not when you got something good going for you. I wish somebody would give God praise in the middle of your dark times when you are bound and when you are suffering and when you are in trouble. I think it's time for the church to confuse the devil. Because he thought you, you were bound. And he thought he had him down. And he thought he, he had you buried. And he thought you had you in socks and bonds. And he thought he had you crumbled. But you got up and started praising him. anybody in this house and I don't know where you are if you're watching or if you're here and you just like to take a little chance to say I have some family problems Tammy and I are going to go on a little trip here in a few weeks with our family we found out our family vacations are actually now become educational times to figure out what we're doing wrong Because everyone is together and then, so really, if, if I tell you we're going on a trip, uh, it, it, we'll say it's a vacation, but just, just know that uh, we're, we're actually in discovery. We get to find out what we need to, to do better. It's a little depressive now. So if you're here today or you're watching and you know, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be bold enough to admit, I've got some issues. We've got some problems at home. It looks like we're going good. And, hear me. Don't take your eyes off the prize.
if I could put David into context in 1 Chronicles 22, the insurrection and the things that led to the insurrection and a very young Solomon who's not yet there. This is the moment, maybe less than six years, bad decisions, misplaced alliances, a chaotic house, grown children caught in vile acts, murder, loss, abuse, trouble, but David said, in my trouble, right in the middle of it, I'm preparing to build a house for the Lord. I won't even touch it, but I'm preparing to build it. I love it so much. You can take the dream away from me, but you can't take the preparation. He's going to let me do what? He's going to let me, he's going to let me gather up the cedars. He's going to let me get the gold. Just three more minutes. Please be seated. Clap your hands unto the Lord that, you, that you're giving me three more minutes. I'm almost done. Because I got to give a shout out to Nehemiah before we, we get out of this building. I got I to say something about Nehemiah. I got to talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah and his 52 days for completion. It wasn't supposed to be 52 days. But when the Lord says go, it won't take long for the job to be done. You can be waiting a long time. But when the Lord moves in, Bible says that God rides on us with cloud. What you don't know is you can be in a struggle for a long time. But when the moment comes that he lifts you out of it. It'll be a quick work. And in 52 short days, walls were reset, gates were rehung, the breaches were refilled, but it did not come without trouble. Because really, both the world and some of the people who we think are brothers and sisters, they don't want us to do work for God. They're more comfortable for us to fail. Okay. <laughs> but Nehemiah had a desire. He was given letters, royal letters from the king. He was given money in his hands. He didn't have to raise the funds. He had tools and materials, but he also had Sanballat and Tobiah, and they brought their devices too. They brought insults, Ridicule, threats, and sabotage. And it lets me know that every step we make in the right direction is going to be met by the forces of darkness. Don't think it's strange, Paul said, when you fall in different types of temptation. There's going to be temptation and trouble at every turn. You're never going to be able to stand up for the Lord and be applauded. You're going to be rebuffed. I'm not even in that arena, but you'll probably have some thumbs down. It's going to hurt your feelings. 
They're going to call you names. They're going to sabotage your walk with God. They're going to tell you that nobody wants to do that. They're going to say that everyone is against you. But hear me. We will not become strong in the Lord and do things for the kingdom without a spiritual and maybe even a natural opposition. If we think that we can spread the gospel in our city without a rebuttal, we would be the first in human history to do it, but we will not do it. There will always be a rebuttal. You probably can't even come to church without there being some kind of thing that would get in your way. Your efforts, regardless of what they are, will be insulted, ridiculed, threatened, and given to sabotage. And the sum of it all spells trouble, conflict, and dilemma. But I'm not going to die in my dilemma, and I'm not going to wilt in my suffering, and I will not be silent in the dark. We're not going to stop being the church of the living God. So I got a word for you. Here's your scripture. Are you ready? So if you need the will of God, you want to know the will of God. Everybody wants to know the will of God. Now I know what you really want. You want line by line and details and timelines. But let me just help you with the will of God. So we don't make up something that's not in the Bible. Here is Paul. Here is First Thessalonians. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. My times are in your hands. In everything, I'm going to give thanks. None of the things that make me feel good. Not when I feel good. Not when I'm absent or void of struggle or trouble. Not when my mind is clear. But in everything, I'm going to give thanks. This is the will of God for me. Thank you, Lord. Oh, it's a lot easier to say, yes, that's good. Clappy, clappy while we're here. But when you get out there and you have trouble and you have struggle and you're rejected and you're alone and you're second guessing yourself. Open up your mouth and say, thank you, Lord. I'm giving thanks. I'm giving thanks. That's the will of God for my life. (laughs) Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord at... Here's the problem right here. I will bless the Lord. This is the problem right here. If you could just scratch that, that next little portion out. And you'd bless him based upon the outcome. But that's not what the Bible says. Get back to the book. I will bless the Lord at all times his praise flowing out of my mouth I want it to be like a dripping faucet I cannot turn it off as much as I might try it just comes out of my spirit I praise you I praise you I bless you I'm thankful at all times I'm thankful I'm thankful I'm blessing you I'm thankful I'm blessing you I'm thankful I'm blessing you at all times I praise you continually I praise you I praise you I praise you I praise you continually out of my mouth continually out of my mouth in my trouble in my heartache I'm almost there now stand with me please 
Here's, here it is. This is the day that the Lord hath made. You don't get to mess with that day. You don't get to decide what kind of day that's going to be. That's the day God made. The day of your trouble. The day of your darkness. The day of your imprisonment. The day of your suffering. The day of your family trouble. It's still the day that the Lord hath made. This is the day which the Lord hath made. You don't get to mess with those nine words. Here's what you get to do. We will rejoice. And be glad in it. Put your palm out one more time. My times are in thy hand. My times are in thy hand. Now lift up those hands to the Lord and give him praise and say it. This is your day. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to praise you, Lord. I'm going to give you glory. And in the middle of my trouble, I'm going to keep on doing the kingdom work. In the middle of my struggle, if I'm rejected, Lord, to do the thing I wanted to do, or if I've got internal conflict, I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to praise I'm still going to give I'm still going to serve it's an obvious question but I'll just patronize me for a moment would you are there any folks in here that have trouble I won't even look up are there any people here that know what I'm talking about trouble conflict and hurt and pain anybody know that does anybody know that can I get a few folks that are not embarrassed to come to the front and say, yeah, pastor, I've been in trouble and I know trouble and I feel trouble and I've had some dark moments in my life. Is there anybody here that's in a dark place right now where you just feel, you just be overwhelmed, but you're going to come to the front. We're just going to praise God in the middle of it. Can I get a couple witnesses in this house that would say, I've got some loss going on right now and I got some pain going on right now and I got some unanswered questions, but this is the day the Lord hath made and I'm just going to come and rejoice. I wonder if anybody can open up their mouth and say, I'm going to give you praise out of my mouth. What you do in the middle of your trouble is going to define your life. Help me. Help me. I want to confuse the enemy today. He thought he had me down. He thought he had me buried. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. Come on, just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. Just praise the Lord. Oh, glory. I know you're somewhere out there. Can you hear this preacher today? I know you're somewhere out there. Grab a hold of this and say, my times are in your hands, Lord. I'm not over. I'm not through. You're not done with me, Lord. But I know what i got to do today. just five minutes of rejoicing in the Lord not because of what you've been going through but because he's a good God
my trouble. I gotta praise him in my trouble. Oh, I give you glory in my trouble. Come on, somebody help me say it. I'll never forget the moment I was I think I was about 14 but my grandmother had a stroke on a Wednesday and she passed away on a Sunday and my grandmother she had been a Catholic for 53 years and then she was converted to, to, the, to the faith and she was baptized and she spoke in other tongues and she witnessed to her family but at the end of her life after serving the Lord and praying and praising the last thing she did on the hospital bed as my mother and my aunt were holding her hand Grandma Farino just she was, she put up her hand and she began to worship the Lord it was the one hand that worked she put her hand up and she began to worship the Lord that was that's how she left this world she didn't leave this world sad and heartbroken and thinking it was all for naught but she left this world with her hand up I think we should just practice this a little bit today you ought to praise God no matter where you're at and what you're dealing with you ought to praise God it's a defining factor of our life if you feel like you're bound up and there's no way out if you can get one hand up, if you can get a little voice out, start to do it right now. You may not be able to stop your trouble, but do not stop your building. Come on, give them glory. Come on, give them glory. I'm provoking you for good works today. Come on, give them glory in this house. Come on, give them glory in this house. I dance before you. I shout before you. I praise you. I praise you. Come on, put your hands together. Clap them. In my trouble, look what I'm going to do. In my dark time, I'm going to pray and sing praises.